Can we just thank him today? Can we just lift our voices, give him a hand clap of praise, love God, that he has been so good to us, that he loves us, that the Father's arms are open wide to us, and all we got to do is just say yes to Jesus, right? Amen? Amen. Amen. Can we all thank the worship team for knocking it out of the park this morning? Thank you, guys. You did a great job. We love praising Jesus in this place. We love praising God. Find your seats. Give everyone somebody a high five, a holy chest bump, something. Say, good to see you. Good to see you, especially if it's somebody you've never seen here before. <laughs> don't chest bump. We don't need, I don't need people knocking over. Don't, don't actually do that. <laughs> or maybe, I don't know, do it. Who cares? Oh, it is good to see everybody here today. It is a blessed day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. For those of you who don't know, I'm going to do a quick introduction. My name is Ryan Conroy. Um, my wife and I have led the, uh, the youth, and my daughter's over there, both of them, my oldest, uh, Rory, my youngest, Lily, uh, cheering me on today. They're my cheerleaders today. It's pretty cool. So my wife and I have led our youth and junior high program here at Desert Stream for about the past year and a half. We've actually also run our um, uh, young adults program. We've been doing that for about, what, six years, seven years almost? So it's been an absolute blessing to be a part of the growth in this church, to be a part of the ministry in this church. We love this church. So 11 years ago, 11 and a half years ago, uh, we actually started coming to Desert Stream. I was newly saved. My wife was, uh, she'll say she's an atheist. was an atheist. She isn't anymore. <laughs> I hope not leading a youth and junior high program. She's not an atheist anymore. Um, but uh, we were both radically changed in this church, and we are just so blessed and so honored to be a part of this church family. We love this place. It's amazing. Um, but I wanted to share with you guys real quick today kind of what we do with youth, because youth, we know that our kids are important, amen? Our children are important, amen? So we get this opportunity to pour into our kids here at Desert Stream. So, Gord, if you don't mind throwing up our first slide. Oh, see, my youth team... They're here. They know I love slides. I dig slides. I even put these really cool transitions in. Ready? Ready? Oh, yeah. It's so dope. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so this, a year and a half ago, uh, we started doing youth in junior high here at Desert Stream, and uh, it was right after all the restrictions lifted from COVID. So you can imagine the crowd wasn't that big, and uh, the kids were just they, they were just happy to be around other people, to be quite honest. We asked them what, kind of what they were looking for with the youth and junior high program. They're just like, people. We just want to be around people, please. Can we love people? And we said, yeah, sure. So we, uh, we started doing it, and our very first night uh, back there, there are nine students, and there are seven leaders. That is a ratio of almost one-to-one. -one. It's like 0.8 to one leader-to-student ratio, but we didn't care we were walking in obedience, and we wanted to bless these kids, so we kept going. We kept leading. We were walking obediently. We got to do some really cool stuff. It is important to acknowledge the fact that the two people leading this whole ordeal have never actually been to a youth group before. We never attended one. We were never part of one before, so it was as new to us as it was to a lot of these kids. So we, <laughs> we had worship nights. That's Andrew Stickland down there. He was one of our leaders, still is one of our leaders. We love having the Sticklands on board with the team. It's amazing. We did uh, bake sales, so if you're buying scones or coffee or anything out in the cafe, all those funds actually go back into our youth and junior high program, and it's amazing what that has done. So, and we actually took them to our very first and their very first youth conference, and it was amazing to watch, uh, absolutely amazing to watch. And we closed out our first year with jelly ball. If you've never done that before, it's like paintball, but it's got these like little orby things. It's a lot less messy. There's no welts or bruises or anything like that. 
We did it at uh, Charmaine's house. We had a big barbecue, and it was amazing, and we were so honored to do that. And then summer rolled around, so we're, we're entering a time of rest. And anybody who's ever done ministry, anybody who's ever led a small group or whatever, it's important to take rest. But you understand, too, that when <laughs> the rest time is over, it's like spinning your wheels to try and get everything back up and going because it's like, kind of like you're starting from fresh again. You're starting from brand new, and it can be really frustrating. It can be really irritating. It can be really demotivating. But what's really cool is it didn't happen this time. They kept coming. Oops. Ah! They kept coming, and they started bringing their friends. So this group just kept growing. Like It's like exponential growth over the summertime. It was incredible. So we started doing some other cool stuff, right? <laughs> we, uh, we took them rock climbing and laser tag, and we had worship nights where they were dancing and big Christmas party. Actually, if you've never been to a youth group, the dance they're doing is a song called My Lighthouse by Wren Collective. It's like if you're a youth pastor, it becomes your favorite song. It becomes like your anthem to the point where if I'm working out in the gym, I'm barking out deadlifts in between sets and doing the dance myself, and it's a lot of fun, right? <laughs> People think I'm insane, and it's okay. So the problem was, is as the group grew, so did our leadership team. We needed to add leaders in an exponential fashion. So we've got these four lovely ladies here. We've got Sherry and Haley and Amanda and Charmaine. We brought them on board. They're doing an awesome job. We actually got our young adults involved, and they act as mentors, and it's incredible to see a generation pouring into the generation coming up underneath them, and it's absolutely amazing. So we've got Gordon, Josie, and Brendan, and John, and Isaiah, and it was phenomenal, right? Here's the thing. <laughs> I have a hard time looking at these pictures, but God's good, amen? Right? God blesses the, those who are obedient, and, and Christy and I have tried our very best to be obedient, and we, we do that. Well, with a very open heart. So as the new internet trend is, you know, what is it? It's uh, how it started versus how it's going. Oh, I'm skipping a part. <laughs> we started sharing testimonies and messages and stuff too. So we actually started like doing it like a church service here on Wednesdays. It's kind of worked like a bridge. And actually, this is a really great picture because the, the gentleman speaking, he's actually in our back room right now. He's, he's running the sound and and, and the live stream and everything. His name's Gord. He's awesome. We love him. He was our very first young adult. Very, very first. Like our first young adults meeting, it was Christy, myself, and him. And that's it. It was <laughs> nobody else. And now he's sharing messages and he's sharing his testimonies, preaching to these kids and loving these kids, and we're doing amazing work. So bless him. Bless that ministry. We love young adults. We love our youth, and we love our junior high. So back to my original point, if this is how it started, <laughs> this is how it's going today, right? Yeah, it's awesome. And the best part is, there's like 10 kids missing from this photo. That's even actually bigger. And this is our second conference, and we brought them to Ottawa, and it was amazing. And they're getting saved and getting healed, and it's just, oh, it's so good. It was, it was, it was amazing. <laughs> and for those of you who don't know my wife, she's the really pretty blonde here in the bottom corner, right, <laughs> in the black and red shirt. And we are just so honored and, uh, and so blessed to be here and, and be a part of this church and be a part of that ministry, and we love doing it. And if that's all I ever get to do in ministry, oh, I, I will be a happy man. It's, it's incredible. So, amen. So today's message, I got uh, thinking about, and we were talking a lot in youth group about our identity in Christ. And I thought it was really clever coming up with the name of this message, Who Do You Think You Are? Mostly because I had several principals and several high school teachers say this exact phrase to me. It was usually done in a harsh tone. It was, who do you think you are? Usually because I was doing something stupid. So, 
very likely doing something stupid. <laughs> My mom's here. She's probably said that to me a handful of times too. So <laughs> who do you think you are? And it's an important question we have to ask ourselves because our identity in Christ hinges on that, who we think we are, right? So uh, to put things in context today, I wanted to kind of talk about um, well, who we are. Are we just sinners saved by grace? Is that it? I don't think so. I mean, it's certainly a true statement, right? Like, if I were to say I'm a sinner saved by grace, that's a true statement. That's right in the Bible, right? I was a sinner. Jesus came into my life, rescued me, and saved me, and transformed my heart, my mind, my will, my emotions. He saved me. That's true. But is that all we actually are? So I started digging into this. We started digging into this with the youth, and uh, surprise, surprise, it turns out that's not actually all we are. So we live in a society and a culture where there's a lot of confusion about our identity, about who we are, who we belong to, and there's a lot of stuff out there that, I'm sorry, has an expiration date on it. Nothing out there in terms of your identity is actually eternal, and it all expires. It's all short-lived. But our identity in Christ is eternal. He has saved us now, forever, for eternity, for everything that we, from everything we have done, from everything we will do. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus paid the price for on the cross. So it doesn't make sense to me that we're just sinners saved by grace. While true, we're much more than that. And that's what, kind of what I want to talk to you about today. So we're going to do that. And we're going to do it. We're going to start. <laughs> I'm going to do my best Chuck Smith. Who's seen the movie Jesus Revolution, by the way? Have we all seen that? Cool. Okay, it's a great movie. And in the movie, we started doing this with our youth because it's so much fun. We all hold up our Bibles. Who's got their Bibles with them today? Digital, paper, doesn't matter. I'm not going to sit here and judge. We all got them. Can we hold them up? This word is truth. Amen? This word is life. Amen? Awesome. So let's do us all a favor. Let's open our Bibles together. I love, I, I wanted to hear this sound. Hold on. Yes, you are right. It is the best sound in the world. Okay, cool. <laughs> and if you could, all just follow me over to 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And it's going to be our theme verse for the day. It's going to kind of be what we focus on. And I'll read it here. I'm going to put my old man glasses on. My mom says I look like my grandfather with these things on. So there you go, Grandpa. All right. Uh, if you're asking what uh, translation I got this from, I have no idea. I'm, a, I'm a, uh, a lazy writer, so this is whatever Google popped up so I can copy and paste. <laughs> Uh, so I'll read it out here. It says, look with wonder at the depth of the Father's marvelous love that he has lavished on us. He has called us and made us his very own beloved children. The reason the world doesn't recognize who we are is because they didn't recognize him. Beloved, we are children, God's children, right now. Everyone say right now. Right now, right now. Beloved, we are God's children right now. However, it is not yet apparent what we will become. For, but we do know that when it is finally made visible, we will be just like him, for we will see him as he truly is. Just pray with me for a second. Father, we just thank you for our identity in Christ. We thank you that you've made us your beloved children, not after we do some works or we, we earn it or deserve it, Father, but that, that you've given it to us as a gift, Father. We are just so thankful. And we just pray for that revelation to fall in this room tonight, God, that... Uh, that the hearts and minds be open to just who you are and who we are. And we thank you for all of it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. So I started thinking about um, <laughs> the idea of a father. And, and I started thinking about all these kind of funny stories I had about me and my old man, me and my dad. Sorry, Dad, I called you old man. He's watching online today from the West Coast. 
Um, <laughs> he hates it when I call him old man. He's my old man. And I started thinking, but you have to understand, so like when I was growing up, my dad worked in Toronto, right? And we lived in Brighton. What that meant was is that for a large part of the time, a large part of the week, he was actually gone. He was working. So from Monday morning till Friday evening, um, my dad was out of town. He was working. And that's okay. The, the time that we had on the weekends was like really good, right? I did everything with my dad. Um, we had a great time. He's the one who taught me how to do all kinds of stuff, play guitar, use a soundboard, taught me how to cook, <laughs> taught me how to fix just about everything and anything under the sun. When you're the oldest of five kids, buying new things anytime something broke wasn't usually like a luxury we were afforded, so you had to kind of fix stuff as you went. And <laughs> one, of the, one of the things I remember him fixing, this doesn't have anything to do with anything, this is just a funny story. <laughs> we had this old mix master, and my mom's going to start laughing because she knows this story. <laughs> Does everyone remember, like, I say old mix master, it was like from the 70s. Does everyone remember that like gross avocado green Linda Blair throw up color that was from the 70s. I don't know what you all were thinking in the 70s where you thought that was an okay color to paint everything, but that's what you guys did. We had this old mix master, and my dad loved on the weekends baking bread. He absolutely loved it. It was one of his absolute favorite things. Well, he gets home one weekend, and <laughs> the stupid thing won't turn on. It'll turn on, but it'll stop and turn and stop, and it's getting all fidgety. So he takes it apart, and he realizes one of the brushes not making contact on the electric motor. He goes, oh, okay, cool. So he fixes it, and my dad had this really wonderful way of being like really grandiose when he fixed something, right? Like he'd, he'd like cheer himself on, it was really funny. <laughs> well, in this particular case, he gets it all fixed, all put back, like partially put back together, and he's gonna test it before he finishes putting it all back together. And out of the kitchen, I'm sitting in the living room watching Looney Tunes or something, and out of the kitchen I hear my dad go, I can smell those buns cooking now. And you would have thought Jesus came back because that kitchen lit up with a white light unlike I have ever seen before the second he turned it on. Black scorch mark across the kitchen counter. And then the next words out of my dad's mouth was, we need to go buy a new mixer. <laughs> it's done. We're not fixing this. <laughs> so, so why am I telling that story? Because eh, it's funny. <laughs> my dad's probably laughing his butt off in Victoria right now too. It's, it's, it's funny because it's a story I remember distinctly about my dad. And, and nothing really phased him. Nothing made him afraid to fix anything. He just, he knew he had to do it, and he would, he would give it a go. And 99% of the time, he was successful. Far be it, his oldest son gets to pick out the 1% of the time that he didn't make it work. So, but I got thinking about the Father's heart, and I started thinking about this verse where it says right now, and, 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 and that we are children of God right now. Like, it's not something that we, we inherit as we go along, and it's, it, it's actually something that, that we are. And I started thinking about that, and I'm, I'm starting to research. I'm getting ready for today, and I get to uh, 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 the book of Mark. And if you could all turn with me to Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. We're going to look into a story here. Um, it's a... It's a <laughs> It's a popular story. Everyone kind of knows this story. If you know your Bible even a little bit, we all know it. Um, uh, let me set up the background for it while you guys get there. Jesus comes to this city called Capernaum, right? So he walks in the city. He's already cultivated a bit of a following. He's cultivated. He's got people following him, and he gets to this house. And we don't know whose house it is. It doesn't really matter whose house it is. But the house, the, the following has gathered momentum, right? So he's got not just the people who are following, but people are starting to ask questions, and who's this Jesus guy, and what does he do, and why is everyone following him? And the house is like pouring out with people. It's, it's an outpour. There are so many people that the doors and windows and walls of this home can't actually contain 
the number of people. So you got people pouring out into the streets for whatever reason, whether they just want to hear about this guy, Jesus, hear him speak, maybe get healing, maybe just understand who he is, just to get a word from him. It doesn't matter that Jesus is magnetic and everyone's here to hear him. Everyone including these four guys. And they're carrying a fifth guy, right? So they're carrying him because the guy, the fifth guy is paralytic. He can't walk. He's on a homemade gurney, homemade bed. Some pictures depicted as a sheet. Some uh, pictures depicted as almost like a, like a, like an army cot thing that they would carry in mash units and stuff like that. But it doesn't matter. These four guys know they need to get their buddy to Jesus. Who here has a friend, a family member? They know they need to get to Jesus. Amen? Right? Okay, keep praying for them. Keep inviting them to church. They'll meet Jesus. Trust me, it does happen. So these four guys carry their friend to, to, to Jesus, and they get to this house, and there's so many people they can't even get to them. Right? It's just a sea of people. They couldn't, like, possibly weasel their way through the crowd. So typically like a bunch of guys, this is going to be the first biblical case study in why women live longer than men, okay? Because far be it for them to use some level of logic where it's like, well, we'll wait for the crowd to die down or maybe we'll kind of try and sneak around the side. Nope, these four guys look at their buddy and go, we're getting you up on the roof. What? I'm not even in the same room as Jesus if I'm up on the roof. Eh, don't worry. We're going to rip a hole in the stranger's roof. We're just going to drop you right down there. Drop me. Okay, we'll lower you down, you wuss. Like, no problem. We're going to get you there. <laughs> okay. So they do. They heave hold their buddy up onto the roof. They climb up after him, rip a hole in this stranger's roof. And once Jesus doesn't rebuke him for trashing somebody's house, it says that <laughs> Jesus saw their faith and forgave his sin. Wow, what a remarkable statement. What a remarkable thing to do while they're trashing somebody's home they forgave sin. That's what Jesus did. And then there's in the room, there's Pharisees and there's scribes, and they're seeing this kind of go on. And they reason in their hearts, they're not saying anything out loud. There's, this guy's a heretic. This guy's a blasphemer. Only God can forgive sin. And Jesus picks up on this, and he rebukes them, and he looks at them, and I'm going to quote it here. So if we go to Mark chapter 2, verse 8, he says, why, he says this, it says, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to a paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or say, take up your bed, arise, and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has the power on earth to forgive sins. And then he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. So he does both, right? It's just like gut punch to the scribes and the religious leaders at uh, it, uh, of the day, saying, not only can I forgive sin because the, the, our Father has given me that authority, I can heal people. And watch this. This guy's been paralytic for I don't even want to know how long. Despite how goofy his friends are, he can walk home now. No bed required. How amazing is that? I love this story. I love seeing people set free. I love seeing people healed. But the best part of this story is this. If you backtrack just a little bit for me, please. Go back to cha uh, verse 5, chapter 2, verse 5. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Son? This is the first time it's ever documented in Scripture that Jesus forgave sin, and the first word out of his mouth is son. 
This man came for healing. He just wanted his legs to work again, and he gets a brand new identity, and he gets a brand new family, and he gets a brand new Savior, and that man is Jesus, and he forgave him his sins before he ever, ever healed him. Son, daughter, that means the very day, the very second that you cried out in faith through grace to Jesus, the response from heaven was, son, the response from heaven was, daughter, you're forgiven. It's never been anything else. We are far more than sinners saved by grace, but we are children of God. Amen? Amen. It's so good. But the problem is, there are so many who even the thought of having a father brings hurt, brings pain, brings back negative thoughts, abuse, or whatever. I don't say this uncompassionately. I don't say this passively. My heart's for you guys. I, I was fortunate enough to have a good dad. Not a perfect dad, but a good dad. But I know that there are people in this room who haven't had that. And I say this with all compassion, every level of compassion I could possibly have. We need to stop painting the face of our own dad on the face of God. They're not even close. They are not the same. Right? Jesus loves you. And the whole reason he died was to reconcile you with the perfect father. That's it. That's what it is. That's the mission statement of Jesus. Bring my kids back to me. Right? Amen? And he does that. And he pours his life out. And it's nothing we earn. Absolutely nothing we earn. It is all by grace and grace alone. Amen? The Father loves you, and he wants to keep you safe, and he wants to keep you protected, and he's going to put you on a path that you probably, you don't know, maybe you've never done this before, maybe salvation is brand new to you, and you're like, what's going on? Why is my life taking this wild turn? You can trust the Father with it, right? I had a really cool story that I wanted to share about my own dad, but my grandmother's here, and I got to hang out with her yesterday, so I'm going to tell a really cool story about grandpa, right? <laughs> My grandfather uh, was an old farmer. He was a truck driver. Uh, amen. Yeah, truck driver since like what? 18, Grandma, when he got his when he got his driver's license. 21. Okay, so he was a truck driver since he was 21. For as long as I remember, this man was behind the wheel of an 18 wheeler. But he also loved farming, and he had this old international farm tractor. And I wish Ted was here because he just his ears would perk right up. I mean, this thing is like old, right? And it had a plow on it. I remember being a kid, and I'd sit on my grandfather's lap, and I'd drive the tractor, right? We drive it down the road. They live in this, like, really rural old part of, uh, uh, well, between Smith Falls and Merrickville. It's a place called Easton's Corners. That's where I grew up. The problem is, is that the road my grandmother and my grandfather lived on, uh, it's, like, really, like, really rural. So, like, snow plows never get to it. So if you ever wanted that road plowed, my grandfather would hitch the plow up to this old tractor and just putt down the road and plow it. And it was, it was how he spent snow days. It was awesome. And I would always sit on his lap, and I'd help steer. Well, it was one particular day. <laughs> I asked Grandpa if I could go with him. He said, yeah, sure, no problem. So we went out, started the tractor up, hitched the plow up to the front of it, and he's standing on the back hitch. Grandpa, what are you doing? Well, young man, I'm 10, by the way. I'm like 9 or 10. You're going to drive it today. Okay. <laughs> Never driven anything in my life. The closest was my dad's Grand Prix, and I used to sit on his lap, and we'd drive down like a back road. But I said, so... I'm not sitting on your lap. No, I'm not, you're not sitting on my lap. You're going to steer. You're going to drive. You're going to use the clutch. You're going to use the gas. I'm going to show you how to do this, son. All right, cool. 
I hop up in the chair. He puts it in first gear for me. He says, now put your foot on the clutch. I'm going to put it in first gear. I said, okay, cool. I got my foot on the clutch. It's a tractor. I'm 10. The clutch has a heavier spring weight than what I weigh. I'm right into it. And he's standing on the back hitch, and he's got his arm around me, and he goes, okay, now just let off the clutch and give it some gas. Okay. The next thing I remember is the front of that tractor three feet in the air because I dumped that clutch so hard, it would, I'm surprised there wasn't shrapnel flying out the back of the thing. And my grandfather uttered four-letter words that I can't say in this church, but, oh, put the clutch back in. All right, cool. I just slapped the clutch back in. Like, what did I do? What did I do? And he says, you got to do it slowly. You got you to do this. And what I remember most about that story isn't the fact that I catwalked an old farm tractor. It was cool. <laughs> it was scary. What I actually remember about that moment, about that time, was my grandfather's arm never left around me. It was always on me. And despite the fact that I just about kicked that old man about five feet behind me, he grabbed on, partially for his dear life, but for my dear life as well, like a human seatbelt, he clamped on to me and didn't let me go. The father's love's kind of like that. He's going to get you doing things, maybe take you in a direction that you didn't think you were going to do. John can attest to that with broken walls. Remember broken walls when you first, when it first started, John? How scary was that? Straight. Yeah. And look at it now. You're saving kids in Pakanjikum, a third world country within a first world country. And it's absolutely amazing what that ministry is doing. And it started with an act of faith and a trust in the Father that regardless of what's going to happen, we're going to see kids saved. Amen? Amen. It doesn't matter. That's what it looks like to walk as a son. That's what it looks like to walk as a, as, a, as, a, as a child of God. That's who we are. And there's safety and security in it. No matter what the world's going to throw at you while you're walking that out, God's got you. He's got his arm around you. Don't worry, son. You may not have been this way before, but I know how this is going to end, and it's good. Trust me. Hang on. We brought those kids to that youth conference in Ottawa, and we saw kids get saved. They were rushing the stage, giving their lives to Christ, and it was amazing. And one of the most amazing things actually happened afterwards. We were sitting around on a Wednesday night, and we were kind of unpacking what the youth conference was and, and what they experienced, and, you know, let's talk about this. One of them piped up and shared, and we know this kid, and we, we love this kid. And she, they said, I've never felt so safe and so loved as the day that I said yes to Jesus. There's safety there. There's love there. He loves you. And the second you say yes to Jesus, you're adopted into a family, and there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you did to earn it, nothing you did to deserve it. It's just who you are now. You're a son, you're a daughter, and dad's got your back. It is honestly as simple as that. I printed off notes, and I'm sure I'm probably like way out here on them, but no, no, I'm not. I'm all right. <laughs> I'm good. I didn't go way off track yet. I am going a bit faster than I thought I was going to be, but that's all right. We don't, we don't earn the love of the Father. It's, it, it's impossible to earn it. Maybe you grew up in a home where that is the case. And I'm sorry if that is. It, it sucks that that's maybe how you were raised. 
Maybe you're like me and you had a, a really good dad. Again, not a perfect one, but you had a good one. And the issue isn't that I've put my dad's face on God's face, but that I've put God's face on my dad. And that when a, a man like that, that you love and that you care about, falls, it's like watching God fall. And it's not true. God doesn't fail. God doesn't fail. My dad did, right? I, I, that's his story. I'm not, but he's so much better now. He's okay. He's, he's good, right? My dad's faithfully serving the Lord. And he's loving life. And my, it's remarkable to see what God's done in his life. It's remarkable to see what God's done in my entire family's life. But it's absolutely nothing that we ever earned. It's, we don't deserve it. It's just a gift. In the same way that salvation and forgiveness came to us as a gift from God, sonship, adoption, daughtership, if I could use that term. I don't think it's an actual word, but I'm going to use it anyway came right along with it. Then the same way there's nothing that we did to earn our salvation, that no work could have done it, our adoption into the family of God came the exact same way. And it's a gift. It's an absolute gift. And we've seen in church and, and society, people just not know who they are. It doesn't matter whether you're within these four walls or you're out in the world, that there is this attack on our identity whether it be as children of God or just who you are in society, it doesn't matter that there is an attack on it. And it is painful to, get, to see people get led down the garden path of absolute disaster when it comes to their identity. Our Father, who is in heaven, loves us. And he's got a plan for us. He's got a mission for us. And he's going to walk it through with us. And the identity that we get in Christ doesn't expire. It doesn't end. It doesn't it's not even something you really even have to promote. It is who we are. And the Bible says that we are to walk like that, that we are to walk out our identity, that we're supposed to actually look peculiar in society as Christians, that people are supposed to ask questions when they see how we interact with one another, how we forgive our enemies. But these are things that only a child of God can do. And they're done, and they're given to us as a gift. So while I didn't intend to speak on gifts of the Holy Spirit, I guess I kind of am speaking about gifts of the Holy Spirit because I'm going to, I want to, I want to talk, I want to go to this verse in, in Romans. I'm going to close off with this. I know it's a bit early. I think I probably spoke a little faster out loud than I did in my head. <laughs> but that's okay. I'll pull up this verse in Romans. Romans 8, chapter 15, and I pulled it from the Passion Translation, so it's extra spiritual. <laughs> says this, Paul says this to the church in Rome, he says, and you did not receive a spirit of religious duty, leading you back down to the fear of never being good enough, but you have received the spirit of full acceptance, enfolding you into the family of God, and you will never feel orphaned. For as he rises up within us, our spirit joins him in saying the words of tender affection, Beloved Father. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, You are God's beloved child. I read that in my translation. It's the New King James Version, which is awesome. Actually, Dad, thank you. My dad got me this, <laughs> this spirit-filled Bible. And, and it's great, and, and it reads really, really well, but the Passion Translation puts it, 
so incredibly well. That we're God's beloved child, that the Holy Spirit is what makes us aware of that. That it's Holy Spirit's work in and, out, in and through our lives that brings us to this realization that we're more than just sinners saved by grace, but that we're actually children of God. And it's an amazing thing to be a part of. And it's something that I've walked now for about the past couple years, and it, it wasn't easy, again, because I had a dad who I had a very hard time not acknowledging, or acknowledging God as my father, when my dad was like, was such a big part of my childhood, he was my hero. But God's the perfect hero. God's our perfect father. And it's amazing what he's done in my life. I'll share real quickly about what he's done in my life, if I can. I came to Christ driving a tow truck down Walbridge Loyalist Road, turning onto Bell Boulevard. I was hurt. I was broken. I was a brand new dad. We weren't married. My wife and I were at wit's end with one another. I say my wife. She's my wife now. She wasn't. She was my fiance. And I'm flipping around radio stations. And I land, miraculously, on UCB Canada 102.3. And there's Robbie Zacharias, who's an apologist. He's not, uh, he's not what you would call an evangelist, but he's just talking about the love of God in your life and that it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter how bad you've been hurt or have hurt. None of that matters. What only matters is that you call on the name of Jesus. That's it. Where the world will call you orphan, he's going to call you son. He's going to call you daughter. That's all it is. And I start bawling. You could have turned the windshield wipers on. It wouldn't have wiped anything away. I'm driving a 35-foot-long flatbed tow truck, bawling my eyes out. I just need Jesus. And it changed everything. It changed my trajectory in life. I'm not a tow truck driver anymore. Thank God. <laughs> I've got two beautiful kids, and despite the fact that my wife and I am fairly confident she wanted to kill me some nights, we have been together now for 16 years. We've got two beautiful kids. An old, my oldest daughter turns 15 in like less than a month. My youngest daughter just turned 12 in January. We faithfully serve the Lord. We love this church. We pour into this church. We are all saved. Amen. And then we start coming here. And if Tom's watching, glory, Tom, praise you, brother. You're the one who told me about this church when I towed your Jeep, right? <laughs> I have to keep reminding him, Tom, we love you. My wife got saved in this church. Me and my kids and my wife got baptized in this church. This church is important because this, what Kevin said last week, is true. This is a fathering church. You go into most churches, it's predominantly women, and there's nothing wrong with that. We love our women in this church. We love our moms. We believe that men, fathers, husbands, are to bless and honor the women in, in, in their lives. That is a foundational belief in this church, and I stand by that one million percent. I love my wife, and God's blessed me with two daughters. I bless women. I love women. I honor the women in my life. I have no choice. So <laughs> my wife gets radically saved, and her life gets sent down. down uh, it takes a wild right turn. She was a, a bartender and a waitress, and she worked for HSBC Finance, and it was basically like legal loan sharks. And like, 
She gives her life to Christ. She becomes a nurse. Right? God's, God just called her to be obedient and put this call in her life to care for the sick. I don't know how much more gospel-oriented you want to get than that. Care for those who are sick. It's right there in the pages. And that's what she does faithfully. Faithfully. She's actually a hospice nurse now. And <laughs> I remember talking to her about it when she first took the job. For those of you who don't know what hospice is, it's end-of-life care. And it's got to be hard. I thank God it's her and not me. I am not built for that. She's like, no, it's great. I get to work in heaven's waiting room. And she loves people, and she cares about them in their, in their final hours, and she is right there by, her, by their sides. And it is amazing to watch what God has done in the life of my wife. It is phenomenal. If I just get to sit back and watch that for the rest of my days, right on. I love what he's doing in the lives of those that believe. I just want to close with this. If I could get the band to come back up, is that possible? Awesome. God loves you, amen? amen. Jesus loves you, amen? amen? And that we are reconciled to the Father, that we are now children of God, that it doesn't matter what we've done, it doesn't matter what we will do, we're forgiven forever and eternally. And it's amazing. And God's got a path for you, and he's got a destiny for you, and it's probably something that you've never done before. Or maybe it's something you're familiar with. It doesn't matter. Our job isn't to work to warrant God's favor. Our, God, our job is just to be obedient to God so he can bless us. That he blesses us through our obedience. My wife spent two years in college. I didn't see her. She was just studying in our bedroom for two years straight. She wasn't working. She was just studying, and it was phenomenal. And we went from a single income. I was making like $14 an hour with two kids and rent and just my income coming in. And God's faithful because we never missed a bill. We never missed a grocery run. We never ran out of gas. God just kept blessing and blessing and blessing. And she graduated. I got on full-time. It went from like $14 an hour to like $25 an hour. And then a month later, she gets a job at the hospital, and we are just blessed. It's awesome, right? I'm going to use my best Pentecostal voice. Blessed. It was awesome. <laughs> and we get married. We buy a house, and we go on our honeymoon. And then we get <laughs> given a young adults ministry where we get to lead college-age students. And it was amazing. And it still is amazing. And now we're leading youth. And you saw that picture. There's like 30-some-odd of them. And we watched 20-some-odd of them give their lives to Christ right in front of us. And I can't imagine being more blessed than that. It was amazing. It was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And we love those kids. And if that isn't a reason to celebrate the life of Jesus, then I don't know what is. I really don't know what is. So I want to close off today probably a little bit different than what we normally do. Can we all stand and can we all praise the name of God? Can we all praise Jesus Christ? Can we all give him thanks through a worship song? These altars are open. And maybe, maybe you're one of the people who have sat and even the thought of calling God Father hurts because of a hurt in your life. Maybe that's you. They're not the same. They're not even close. God loves you like a perfect father. 
and he doesn't look at you with guilt, shame, condemnation, disappointment. He looks at you and he smiles and he goes, you're my son, you're my daughter and I love you. And he cares about you and he wants the best for you. And he's got a whole new amazing life of blessings and everything you could have, more than you could possibly imagine. But it's just like salvation. It's just like forgiveness. It's something we accept. And maybe you've accepted salvation and you've turned your back on the whole fatherhood thing because it hurts. That can change today. I can change right now, just like 1 John 3, 1 and 2 say, right now you're a child of God. Right now. That you're his beloved child and he died to save you died to reconcile you, that only through the blood of Christ can you ever even possibly be reconciled to the Father. He loves you immensely more than you can ever imagine. Amen? So let's just lift our voices. If, you, if you're one of those who just maybe you haven't accepted fatherhood, maybe you haven't accepted your adoption, maybe it's just really hard for you, you can come on up. You can, we can pray for you. We got Kevin, we got Sherry, myself, my wife. We'd all love to pray for you. We want to see people broken free of orphan spirit that the orphan spirit's got no place in the body of Christ because he died to make you a child of God. So if I could just ask the worship team to lead us in worship, if you want prayer, come on up. If you want to just praise and worship God for how good he is, come on up. These altars are open. We love you. We bless you. It's been so amazing to get to speak with you guys today. We want to pray for you. We want to love on you that this is a fathering church. And there are fathers here who absolutely love each and every one of you, and we want to bless you. So if we bless you with prayer right now, if we bless you with praise and cheer you on or however you need it, we're here for you. Amen? Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for letting me speak today. Thank you, Pastor Kevin, for letting me speak today. But we're going to praise and worship God. Amen? We're going to praise and worship Jesus. Amen? Let's hear it get loud in Desert Stream today that we love God. We love Jesus. We are beloved children of God. Amen? Take it away, worship team.